Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, a shout out to a new Patreon supporter. Shout out to Charles Paradis. Charles, thank you for your support. And if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. This week, we are talking about the collect of the mass. It is an amazing conversation. And like always, I learned a lot. So without further ado, episode 33 of season three of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Jesse, I have something to tell you. Uh, what is that, Dennis? The Collector is a fictional character appearing in American comic books published by Marvel Comics, debuting in the Silver Age of comic books, which is not the same as the Golden Age, apparently. The character has been featured in over five decades of Marvel continuity. What does that have to do with the liturgy? Chris will tell us. Oh, okay. That is not as much a non sequitur <laughs> as it amazing, because I think you're a collector. I am. Well, you're you also part- a non sequitur. You participate in the collecting. The collecting. Oh, I used to collect bouncy balls. Not collecting, but collecting. There's a difference. What's the difference? That's what I say. What's the difference? What's the difference? Hey, that's my line. What's what a collect it? versus a collect? I want to know what Aiden Nichols thinks of a collect. Collect is when you owe money and they come for it. A collect is when, Chris? The priest collects all of the intentions of the peoples and in a one voice gives them over to God the Father. It's like a big fishing net for why all of our Why is it pronounced differently? I don't know why. It's probably from Latin somehow. Yeah. But this collect or opening prayer is one of the parts of the Mass that I think is, well, you can ask yourself this. I can only speak. Hello, self. Myself is that Hello, when Dennis I hear that self. let us pray or let us pray, or whatever it is at the beginning of Mass, what do you think about Pray. Probably what my children are doing. <laughs> exactly. Stop <laughs> picking your nose. Yeah. Ugh, that's a new one for us. Yeah. yeah, I don't usually pray. I remember Father Marta said, let us pray is not the cue to stand up. The priest standing up is the cue to stand up. And then when you're all standing, the priest says, let Yeah, us so pray. like after the prayer of communion. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should start with that. So there are three what they call presidential prayers in the Mass. There's the collect or opening prayer. There's the prayer over the offerings, and then at the end there's the prayer after communion. They all sort of have the same type of uh, structure about them, but this opening prayer is the one I want to talk about today because I think of all the – we talk about many elements of the Mass, you know, what to do with the offertory, what to do with the Eucharistic prayer, how to do Lexio Divina, how to make the sign of the cross, and all these other things. The but poor collects are neglected, aren't they? They are. What Somebody are asked me, what's your favorite collect? And I was like, uh... Yeah. So the one spend, about Jesus? <laughs> the, so let's spend some time on what the collect is and how to pray it at Mass. So okay. the collect is also called the opening prayer, maybe by way of introduction. Let's just say, what is prayer? Talking to God, asking Him for stuff, telling Him how great He is. It's all those things, yeah. absolutely. So uh, it's what, in the catechism it cites, maybe it's Therese of Lisieux who says it's a surge of the heart to God or a turn of the heart towards mm. God. Um, 
Cardinal Newman. What was his motto? Do you remember Cardinal Newman? Core ad core, loquitur. Heart speaking to heart. Are you impressed with that, Jesse? No. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, talking to God. One of my. Um, I'd be impressed if I knew that. <laughs> one of my. Uh, so it's spring turkey hunting season, so I take the kids out turkey hunting. Whenever we go, you just gobble up all those the turkeys. Oh, that's good, Jesse. <clears throat> Whenever we go into the field, we always say a prayer for the you know, safety <laughs> and that we think of God and things like that. <laughs> so always make the kids as Jesse spews his coffee across. <laughs> oh the my room. gosh! I'm gonna coffee come up. I know. You walk up to the turkey. You're like, I love you, little turkey. <laughs> Blam. Okay, you're trying to be serious. I'm trying to be serious here. All right, this is not supposed to be fun. If you want to be serious, don't say the animal turkey. It is the most whimsical of all animals. Core ad core blammy tour. Okay. okay. Good head, Chris. So I asked the kids to say a prayer. And the other day, I think it was James, said, well, should I say one of the prayers for you know, or how should I say it? I said, just talk to God. That's what prayer is. Just talk to Jesus. Ask him, talk to him, thank him, whatever you want. So that's uh, prayers described in all of those ways, and they're all true. The one that I sort of like is from... Uh, it's cited at the very beginning of part four of the Catechism, which is on prayer, and it cites St. Augustine, where he says, uh, God thirsts for us. So that know, we might thirst for God. That's right, exactly. So prayer is kind of this mutual uh, th- uh, encounter of God's thirst and our thirst, which at the same time quenches God's thirst and our thirst. So at the beginning, Adam tried to it, slake his we, thirst. Oh, I was just going to use the word slake. It's slake. One yeah, of the, you can't use that it's word. It's a fancy word, I yeah. know. And uh, was thirsty for things other than God. And so... As Dennis would tell us about the history of the Old Testament, one of the one of the biggest images in all of the Old Testament and in the Psalms is speaking of uh, hunting. The deer, the deer from the stream. You should have asked me. I didn't know I that know. stuff. I didn't. I was thinking uh, quick as those lines and compassed about like bees and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Anyway. Oh, is the deer that uh, yearns for a running, running stream, stream so, so my soul thirsts for, for you, my God. God. So in uh, uh, iconography and things like very often, right? There's the deer that's thirsting for running streams. I'm still like. trying to acquire the heart of a child. They're hard <laughs> to come by, actually. So. <laughs> what, keep your kids away from me is all I have to say. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I think my like heart, like a deer, as the heart yearns for running streams. That's another word for Oh, deer. yeah. Anyway. So God is trying to get his people to be thirsty for him once again all the way throughout the Old Covenant. And so finally, uh, a son of Adam shows up who's entirely thirsty, right? And so what, what does Jesus say from the cross? I thirst. I thirst. Right. Is, he, is he speaking on behalf of God or man? Yes. Both. Right. Right. So on behalf of God, he thirsts for man, which he happens to be fully God. And on behalf of man, he reciprocates that thirst and says on behalf of man to God, I thirst for you. And so then what happens is when he says this. Water comes from out of his side. His side is open and the water comes gushing out. And so again, you can speak to this, Dennis. There's some very beautiful and, and the theologically rich uh, images on churches where the the... Well, like uh, San Clemente, right? So you got the cross and the tree of life and the water flows out and the deer drinking from it down below and the, and the, the vines and the trees start to grow. Well, that's an image of what prayer is. And this is especially the case at the opening prayer. So it's this kind of mutual encounter of thirst and refreshment between God the Father and his son, who's the head of the mystical body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty cool thing, what should be taking place at the opening prayer. When I'm with Jesse here, when I hear, let us pray, I'm thinking usually anything except I need to quench God's thirst or something like that. Yeah, that's why I have a priest to do that for us, because we're all doing other stuff, right? 
It's like your what? head collects all your desires of your body, right? You're like, oh, well, I've got this problem, that problem, this hurts, that hurts. But your head says, Father, I give my aching back and my aching toe to you, right? So that your See, head collects all that stuff. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. So the, um, uh, when the priest says, let us pray, so everybody should be offering you know, anything. Let me win the lottery. Let the Brewers uh, win the series against the Cubs. Boo. Take uh, my aching toe, anything like that. But you guys I know need to nine times look at a podiatrist. Sure. <laughs> Tom Brady give up witchcraft. You know, stuff like all that. those things. Yeah. But what happens? The priest says, "Let us pray," and just what should ha- there should be all these little trickles that come together into this torrent mm. that the priest can then collect and then offer over to God the Father. But what happens? He says, "Let us pray," and it's you know all the spigots are turned off. I mean, there's there's or, nothing coming. Or they go out the window or under the pew. Or. Yeah. So the, the whole uh, dynamics of the opening prayer ends up being sort of a, I don't know, flop isn't the right word, but it's certainly not as efficacious and as fruitful as it is supposed to be. But in any case, let me back up a little bit. So this is what prayer is, this mutual thirst and mutual refreshment between God and us. That's the first point I want to make. Now, the second is that one of the things that the opening prayer does is it helps to um, work as a sign to direct you deeper into the mystery that happens to be celebrated on that day, mm-hmm. right? But it only works if you sort of pay attention, right? So let me read what? a couple. Exactly. Yep. Let me read a couple of. I can't uh, afford to pay attention. Collex, opening <laughs> prayers, and you tell me what the mystery being celebrated is. Jesus. All right? Salvation. Uh, yes, it's all Jesus' salvation, but in a particular uh, element. You guys are funny. Yes, okay. we are. Let when us we pr- laugh. Grant, O oh Lord, that mm-hmm. we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service, so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, etc. What is that collect? What do you mean? Like, are you asking for a specific day or a theme, or what are you asking? Yeah, I'm telling you, where on which day would you hear the feast of Saint Michael the Archangel? No, Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, right? See, so the collect is helping you to understand the mystery that's being celebrated. Can you read it again? How did you know that? Was that a guess? I remember it. See, now not just the collect, but think about if you sing the antiphons, entrance antiphon, communion antiphon, or even like. Today, the if you prayed morning prayer, the antiphon for the Canticle of Zechariah came right out of the gospel mm-hmm. from Mass. And so the church is trying to, you know, just kind of you know, clip you on the on the ear, say, Hey, listen up. I'm trying to get a point across here if you would pay attention. It's like the I'm gospel say it again and again and again and again. But none of it works if you don't pay attention. So pay attention, Jesse. Here was the Yeah, read that again. Read that again. Grant, O Lord, we pray. uh, Grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service, so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint. Okay, Ash Wednesday. Try this one. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that we who glory in the heart of your beloved Son and recall the wonders of his love for us may be made worthy to receive an overflowing measure of grace from that fount of heavenly gifts. The baptism of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Sacred heart. Sacred heart of Jesus. I'm done with this game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It true. says from his heart, right? The true beginning. or false? Okay, my, so you got to pay attention Saint, to My this. Saint Michael, the archangel guest, was a good guess. No, it wasn't that good. Just because it had weapons in it? Yes. Well, yeah, okay. It right. started with this period of fasting in the first line. Listen, 
Okay. Al Bodire. This is this is kind of a cool one. Pour forth we be this is a harder one though. Oh. Pour forth we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. The feast the of the it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I remember Father Martis talking about it. Yeah. Well, both of you in the uh, mystical body, mystical voice. Yeah. Tones. Right. So where have you heard this prayer before? The Angelus. Right. So it's the prayer we pray at the Angelus that's been lifted right out of the Catholic liturgy. But the, in, the messages there are incarnation. So if you're associating with one of those things, you're right. I think this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Okay. So that's a little less obvious as yeah. the other one. Let me give you one more and then we'll move on. Now, no, listen to this. So this is a little bit different. Pay attention, Dennis. Yeah. Oremus. Oh, God, who in this wonderful sacrament have left us a memorial of your passion, ah, yes, grant us, we pray, so to revere the sacred mysteries of your body and blood that we may always experience in ourselves the fruits of your redemption, who live and reign with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Well, St. Thomas Aquinas. Corpus Christi. Yes. Corpus <laughs> he Christi. wrote it, though. He I'm, did. It's not I his was going to say something yeah. that is not that day. And what's different about this one from the other ones? Um, this is one of the few collects that's speaking to whom? To the Father. No, no to the Son. To the Son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost every collect is addressed to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. But this one is speaking actually to Jesus himself. But in any case, the thing is, is that the church is trying to get a message across. The message is Jesus. Message it's received. U- it's usually in a particular um, emphasis or expression or one of the various mysteries of his life. So again, if you if you listen to it, this can help you to get more out of the mass and receive its fruits more uh, fruitfully, as it were. Uh, but again, if, if you're just kind of flaking out the whole time, that is in one ear and out the other, and it does nothing. Well, how do you make your ex opera, ex opera operato become your ex opera operantis? How do you make your objective reality become fruitful for you? Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the things, well, I'll give you a couple of couple of the reasons. One, that was a rhetorical question. No, but it's a good question. Well, I right? haven't, yeah, go Otherwise, ahead. it's just, you know, the priest is just wasting his breath and, uh, you know, you're wasting your time. All right. So we, so we want to go to Mass to become saints, to give glory to God the Father. And one of the ways to do that is to start to become attuned to the collect. And so one of the first things is, so we said before, when the priest, <coughs> when the priest says, let us pray, Understand that's a call for you to quench God's thirst mm. and for you to have your thirst quenched by God. You are that deer, that heart that's been longing for running streams. And this is the time where the water's going to gush forth from the cross for you. So know that it's a very uh, efficacious time. Uh, one of the ways to make this happen, though, is, and I guess my, this is my third point about the collect is to, when the priest says, let us pray, um, know that it's kind of, um, the dynamic again is that it's both individual and corporate at the same time, right? So when you pray at, um, by yourself, when you pray before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning, how should you pray? Um, I pray the way that I pray with my relationship with God. That's basically right. Pray in any way you want. Do you pray to God the Father? Usually. Do you pray to God the Son? Usually. 
You pray to God, the Holy Spirit. They're I mean, all the same. No, no, they're not the same. They're, they're all they're God. Pray, yeah. But no, I mean, just ask you, who do you, who mostly most God. often mostly do you address your prayers to? Jesus and God the Father, usually. Okay. Sometimes Dennis. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. But, same. but same. I think I know where you're going with this. If I was praying as the head of my family with the rest of my family, it would be that personal prayer, but it would also be corporate prayer because I would be voicing the prayer on behalf of my family. Sort of. There's kind of a collective type of prayer you would do as a unit or as a family mm-hmm. or something. But I guess when you pray the opening prayer at Mass, it has both these elements of individual prayer and corporate prayer. And an individual prayer, you can address it to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God, Mary, St. Gianna. You can use words. You cannot use words. You can kneel. You can sit. Uh, you can stand. You can, whatever you want. You can do it in any variety of ways. There's this uh, uh, little anecdote. It was in this, um, I think it's a tan book by Teresa of Avila about meditative prayer, contemplative prayer, and it's, it's in that book. It tells the story of this little girl who she made her first communion. She got back to her pew, and afterwards, uh, somebody asked her what she, because she was praying so intently when she got back, and they said, well, what were you praying for when you got back to your pew? And she said, oh, I said a prayer for Mommy and Daddy and Billy, and then I said the ABCs to Jesus and then told them a ghost story. <laughs> right? Do it. Pray in any way you want. But then when you step into kind of the corporate part, then it starts to uh, it has to, as a corporate activity, it has to have a, a unifying quality about it. And this is what happens at the opening prayer. So the priest says, let us pray. And this little girl here prays for mommy and daddy and Billy. And you pray for your toe or whatever it is. Gosh. <laughs> okay. You pray for Tom Brady and you pray to win the lottery, anything like that. And then the priest is going to gather and collect them and all these little tiny streams that are starting to flow into this great river and give them over to quench God the Father's thirst. So that's another way to, to make this uh, uh, operato and operantis or verse faisa is to give God something that will satisfy his thirst. But a lot of the liturgical institute documents say is form your intention to be the same intentions that Christ has. And what's his intention? To bring you to the Father, to offer you, to plead for you. And if you're doing something else, then you're not doing, you're not joining to Christ's own intentions. And so if a collect reminds you, oh, this is what I'm bringing about today, or if the gospel acclamation takes a line out of that gospel and repeats it for you, then it's all this wake up, wake up, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then the priest takes that intention to the Father as the headship of Christ. Yeah, but you know, all those intentions uh, that we have, big or small, uh, seemingly important or, you know, life uh, essential, all of those are little aspects about us. Those are just small ways or big ways or medium ways where we're we're jumping into that flow that's coming from the heart of Christ. I pray for Jesse every day. And I need it. That he would smell a little better. Well, mm-hmm. even that is better than that's not really, doing anything. That's really praying for myself, though. So especially, we have I will tell you this: two hours in the car today. I will tell you this. Last night, Agnes and I prayed for uh, prayed for you. Really? Said, we got to pray for Dennis. Oh, and she goes, "Oh no, is he sick?" <laughs> <laughs> not in the ways you can see, little girl. <laughs> I have a couple of questions about this. Okay. Uh, one is this. The you know the mass this type of liturgy the only place that we see this type of prayer where it's um, personal and corporate like a, a type of collect well, liturgically uh, no no uh, almost I think 
every single liturgical rite, I'm trying to think one where this isn't the case, has liturgy is an action of the mystical body, which is made up of various members. So it's by its nature, individual and corporate. So uh, liturgy of the hours, uh, a blessing, uh, the vigil before a funeral, uh, whatever it might be, it's going to have this element where you have the individual intentions of the members who are present and who are not present being collected and united by the mystical body of Christ and given voice by the president, or the priest or the minister, or whatever it is. So no, I think it's the dynamic of liturgical prayer. And I think I, I said this on the podcast a long time ago, but when Lauren Pristis came to the Liturgical Institute and gave a talk on the collects, because she wrote a book about the collects of the Roman Missal, and she made this interesting point that a collect has to be specific enough that you're actually asking God for something, but broad enough that everybody in the room can see it as their own concern. So if you were the only one with a troubled toe that day, we wouldn't have a collect that said, please fix our toes, because most of the people in the room would be like, what does that prayer have to do with anything? But those collects that you read are universally applicable to anyone, right? But at the same time, they're quite specific. They ask for something specific. Can we have the armor of self-control? Can we receive from the, you know, the overflow of your heart? They're very specific questions, but they apply to everyone. So it'd be an interesting thing to try. It'd be like a fun religious studies project. Write a collect that could apply to everyone that has profundity and poetry and literary merit. Yeah, well, well, that's it, too. We're not in this podcast going to get into the, the nature and the structure of the collect. You know, usually God is named. Some attribute is uh, uh, said of him. Very often he's reminded of some of the awesome things he's done in the past. Then and we then, ask for something. And then we ask for something else. That's kind of the structure that comes out of, I, I, again, I'm not prepared enough to, to say this exactly, but Jewish roots, and I think even Roman roots as well. Uh, but yeah, and there's a real poetry about it. So if you, if you think about all of the texts of the Mass, uh, the collects are particularly poetic in their structure and the... Uh, uh, your antidiplosis and all those other things we Did, talked about once upon a are time. Are these chanted at all? Well, uh, y- they are supposed to be. So, Oh, e- really? Oh, absolutely. Denesis mm-hmm. would be in the first category of musicum sacrum, right? Because in a certain sense, it's dialogical because... We say amen. We say amen, exactly. And, so, and, and think too, I mean, think what the priest is doing. He's said, let us pray... He's given everybody a chance to bring to mind some intention or more than one that they have. And he's going to take all of our intentions and he's about to give them over to God the Father. So what's what's the best sacramentalization of this handing over? Yeah, here you go. Thanks. We'll talk to you again at the prayer over the offerings, something like that. No, if he can sing it. Right, just like think if they recited "Happy Birthday" at your next party. I mean, that would be kind of Happy a birthday or something to you. like that. Happy birthday! Yeah, so, yeah to they're meant you. to be chanted. And in fact, on this uh, on this point about uh, us singing it, uh, "Sing to the Lord" even says for the priest who says he doesn't know how to sing, he can recite the whole prayer until he gets to through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. He can just sing that part because it never changes. And if he sings that, then we can sing amen. amen. Yeah. But if he doesn't mm. sing it, then we can't. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a more beautiful, sacramentalized way to express the, the reality of what's going on. Us quenching God's thirst, who's been thirsting for us for all of, you know, forever. And it does bring into relief, high relief, I think, a bit, why there are silences in the liturgy. And you see those here and there, right? And it says, oh, there's, 
times for suitable silence. So what is that? Just quiet, do nothing time. Let us pray could be sort of translated, you know, wrongly as, hey, everybody in the pews, I'm about to give all your concerns to God. So take 30 seconds and figure out what you want me to give him, right? That's all kind of in that let us pray. Pause, silence, put them in, you know, on, and then I'm going to bring them to God. But we never do that. Well, I never do that. that that's the other part. So the way this can break down is the priest can say, let us pray, and everybody's flaking out, more or less, and nobody's giving God anything that might quench his thirst. Or conversely, the priest might say, let us pray, grant we pray, almighty God, that we who glory, and there's no silence. Mm-hmm. And so the priest doesn't allow for the people in the nave to bring forward their intentions. And so there's a real choreography. And again, it's, it's, it's individuals coming together in a corporate action. Everybody has to kind of work together so the priest has to say let us pray and then by his posture and his demeanor his hands are held together at this point let us pray there has to be enough time to let people actually let bubble to the surface their intentions but not too much time <laughs> but enough time so that you know like if it's if it's a short silence you, it, it passes if there's a long silence you, you kind of wake up why is it quiet what am i supposed to be doing you know yeah but it's like you said who 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 who's ever been taught what to do not me. during this time? Not me. Right. And so nobody does it. And then I'm being the, taught right now. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> this is probably the first time yeah. that, that you know many are hearing this. And so you know, if mass is supposed to make a god out of you, it's supposed to divinize you, uh, to be like yeah. him. I mean, this is very important. So this is this is how you go about it. This is the means God has given us to join to Jesus and to become like him and to abide in the heart of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if we're not told or it doesn't happen, this is that, in another podcast, we talked about that sacramental symbolic Ars Celebrani, that medium. So when that starts to break down, what's at stake here is our sanctification and God's glorification. So, yeah, so the dynamic is the priest says, let us pray, and he pauses in silence for enough time for the people to bring forward their intentions. And, you know, imagine if you had 300 people in a church building starting to do that instead of three. You know, we need, we need to increase the disciplinary role of the permanent deacon. You know, the Eastern churches, the deacons come out and kind of verbally smack you around. Wisdom, be attentive. Hey, wake hey, up. pay attention oh, here. You know, if the deacon came out from wherever and was like, quiet, listen, give your petitions before the colleagues. We don't really need that, but in a way, we do need it. Well, in some ways, that st- might scare Kevin a bit too much. Yeah, <laughs> it would remind him of the old nuns with sticks. Yeah, no, but I think um, th- this could be emphasized a little bit more. You know, whether it's in homilies or things like that, or in you know after the sign of the cross and the greeting, there's a little, there's a spot for mm-hmm. uh, the priest or another. I think even another minister to introduce the liturgy of the day or some aspect of it, and that'd be a great time to say. In about two minutes, we're going to say the collect. And when the priest does so, as you were saying, Dennis. If you're not ready, I'm starting without you. (laughs) Yeah, but the father doesn't want that. He wants his thirst quenched. And we have the power to do it. All right. Dennis, how old were you when you learned about the collects and how awesome they are? Because I was today years old. Today years old. (laughs) I began to learn about them, I think, when... Lauren Pristis came to the LA oh, maybe, great. maybe 10 years ago when I was 29, but now even more. Yeah, Christ. try this actually, If uh, especially in ordinary time, right? There's a collect for Sunday that's used throughout the week unless, uh, you know, there's Saints Day or something like that. So you'll hear this collect 
over and over again, especially if you pray the Liturgy of the Hours and other things like that. So you might do Lexio Divina with the Gospels or something. Try to memorize mm-hmm. the collect for the 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time and let that be your prayer throughout the day. I mean, these things are like 20 words long. The conclusion's always the same. So it's not a great feat of mind to try to remember this, but take that Sunday collect, put it in your mind, and let that be your daily prayer for the week. And I think uh, you'll find that these words start to become, they'll just pop a little bit. They'll, they'll be more meaningful, more significant, substantial, and more fruitful. Hey, Dennis. Yes, Jesse. Ring, 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 ring. Hello. You have a collect call from Chris Carstens. Chris Carstens. <laughs> Can you even make collect uh, calls de- anymore? Decline, decline. No, I don't think you can. <laughs> All right, let's answer our question. And by let's, I mean Chris. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute and we love everything that we do here. But you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it? Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder. Uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning, I've known. We've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I, I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the LI. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Okay, we have a question this week from Julie. Julie says, Hi, guys. Love the show. Hi, Julie. Hi, yeah, hi, Julie. Chris. Chris. Hi, Ju- Hi. Come on. Hi, Julie. Be sincere about it this time. Gosh. Sorry, Julie. He's being a real brat today. (laughs) (laughs) If she only knew. Yeah, I know. Julie says, I recently attended a mass where they put a refrain in the Gloria going back to the beginning of the Gloria. Is this allowed? Please solve this for me. You mean like singing the, the Gloria over and over again? I think from what she, I think from what she means, uh, from what I'm reading here is that and I've seen this before. So you say, glory to God in the highest and peace of his people. And, and then the choir sings the then, verse, and then you sing the and glory And then you again. go back, you say, glory to God in the highest. So, uh, and I've also seen this done with a, a couple of other things, too. Um, so the Gloria, um, I can't think of another one offhand, but mm-hmm. I've, seen it, I've seen this done where you take a standard response and you broke it up to like a, turn it into a refrain. Deep breath for both of us. I have a thought, but you go first because you're, uh, you're smarter than I am. Uh, um, uh, Methinks that uh, it's not the intention that the Gloria, which is uh, what Adam Bartlett says, a through composed hymn. I mean, it's meant to be. It's a hymn. It's a hymn. It's a hymn. You begin at the beginning and then you sing the middle part and then you get to the end and you're done. It's not meant to be responsorial. So that's not its uh, ontology, if mm-hmm. put it that way. Uh Another reason which might uh, suggest not doing that is it's supposed to be a hymn that's sung by everybody, not just the choir, not just the refrain, mm-hmm. which is sung by. So it's kind of, and, and you know, it, it, the, the choir can sing the Gloria. Uh, I mean, there, there's different options for who, who can sing uh, the different parts. Um, 
it also, with Liturgium Authenticum, you know, for good or ill, there is this emphasis on the Latin typical edition. And you can look at it as, you know, well, that's just kind of a silly centralized sort of rule that's meaningless. But no, it, it, there's kind of a, an, atta- uh, an attachment to the tradition, mm-hmm. the longstanding tradition. And, and our great, 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 great grandparents used to sing it this way. And uh, so it's not just tradition for being old fashioned sake, but, the, but it manifests uh, 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 a unity of the church even throughout the ages. And so I think for most of those reasons, um, the, the the glorious song as a whole would be the the preference. Mm-hmm. That being said, the arbiter in all of this, as far as I know, is the general instruction of the Roman Missal, paragraph fifty three. Is it? What's it say? It says the Gloria is this venerable ancient hymn may not be replaced by any other. It is intoned by the priest, or if appropriate, by cantor or by the choir, but is sung either by everyone together. First option. Or by the people alternately with the choir, or by the choir alone. So, what does alternately? Well, that means sort of back and forth. But the question is: Does that mean the choir sings the first part and the people sing the second part? I, I don't see any provision for repeating the first line over and over again. Yeah, but I but I think it's the bishops' committee on divine worship, or that is to say, the local bishops' conference who gives these uh, approvals, mm-hmm. and they have approved it. Yeah. So, Probably the idea, yeah. my guess is that when, in the early days of vernacular and the early days of um, liturgical participation, they probably thought singing the whole Gloria was too hard for people, and they just give them the first line, and that will be their limited form of participation. I always feel a bit patronized by that. It's like, yeah, I can sing the whole Gloria, thank you. <laughs> I don't need training wheels for the Gloria. Maybe some people do, and I'm just a liturgy snob as a liturgy guy. But the, as you say, Chris, the idea is one voice, one body, one praise. Well, of the why would we do something like that? But we wouldn't say like, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done." Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy. Like, I bet you could find a setting similar. <laughs> really? <laughs> sure. I bet you hmm. could. Yeah. It doesn't say you can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think it. See, I think in the post liturgium authenticum post. Uh, third edition of the Roman Missal, this was supposed to be clarified. That's why I think it's, um, uh, you know, maybe 50 years ago, as you say, Dennis, it was it was a way to get people to participate in a way that they hadn't before. But I think um, I think it's a harder case to make today after these documents. Okay. Julie, I hope this answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Don't even try to tweet Dennis or Chris because D Macadie, you won't get any response. I don't even think that account even exists anymore, Dennis. It does, but someone else is getting those tweets. <laughs> oh, well, lucky them. All right, thank you and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.